Let me start off by asking you a question. Are you willing to change the world? A few people are nodding kind of tentatively. Are you willing to make a difference for God in your world? That's what God created you to do. He didn't create you to live in a little hole and not influence anybody. He created you to live an exciting, adventurous life, changing your world. Now, some people would say, well, the world is a big place, and I'm pretty small. What can I do? And God would say with me, nothing is impossible. Together we can do great things. Others may say, well, well, I've tried in the past, I've, tr I've tried to do some things for God, but I really haven't accomplished much. It, it really hasn't worked out real well. And God would say, don't give up. Don't become weary in doing the right thing. You can make a difference in eternity with your life. That's what you were created to do. Some others would say, well, Pastor Dan, you don't understand my life. I've got a lot of problems. I've got so many problems, how can I help other people? I mean, I'm just barely hanging on myself. God would say, when you put me and my kingdom first in your life, then I'm going to meet all your needs. And I'm going to take care of your issues as well. To reach out and change your world doesn't mean that we've got it all together. That means we're willing to obey God. And as we do that, God takes care of us. To kind of expand on the idea of changing our world, I'd like us to watch a short video called Change the World. God wants us to become like children again. He wants us to dream again about the things that are possible. He wants us to dream about doing something great for God. He wants us to dream about living the adventure that you were created to live. Now, for those of you that have children or have had children in the past, you know what it means for children to dream. They have all kinds of adventures and they have their little toys and this one is flying to the moon and this one's going to Mars and this battle is going on. They're dreaming of great things. And God wants us to begin to dream again. Not the dreams of childhood, but the dreams that he has for us. And what is at the heart of the adventure that you were created for? You were created to change your world by leading people to the truth of Jesus Christ. That impacts lives for eternity. Jesus summarized his marching orders for every believer, the adventure that he has for each one of us in Matthew 28, verse 19 to 20. I'd encourage you to take out the white page in the middle of your bulletin. Uh, it's in there and it has the outline and the verses written out. You can also see them on the monitors. On the back of the outline page is study questions that you can use in your own study of this passage of Scripture. And they're also used as the basis for the small groups uh, that are meeting this week, for most of the small groups. Matthew 28 verse 19 says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so this is Jesus' mission to each believer. It's not just for pastors. It's not just for evangelists. It's to each and every believer. 
that we are to go and make disciples of people. That means lead people to the truth of Jesus Christ. And when we embrace this mission, what does Jesus promise to us? His promise is that he's going to be with us. He's going to be with us as we carry out his mission. Now, when does this age end? It's, Jesus says, I'll be with you to the very end of this age. When does Jesus return? Well, he will return when this mission has been accomplished. When the mission of changing the world by making disciples is fulfilled. Jesus tells us about this in a couple chapters before, Matthew 24, 14. He says, in this gospel, the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. And so when Jesus' mission, often called the Great Commission, is fulfilled, we don't know exactly when that's going to be, but we know what our part is in it, then Jesus will return. Some might say, well, you know, how can I do that? I, I don't really know that much about the Bible. I, I haven't studied. I haven't been to seminary. How, how can I... Tell other people about Jesus. If you're a believer here this morning, then you know enough to tell somebody else about Jesus because you've believed in him. And he's your Lord and Savior. You've experienced him in your own life. So you know enough to tell somebody else. And that's simply what it means to preach the gospel, the good news about Jesus. Sharing your witness of what Jesus has done in your life to somebody else. So they say, I want that too. If you have it, then I want it also. Now today my message is entitled, Getting People Interested. You see, you cannot force people to become disciples of Jesus Christ. You know, they tried that in ancient times. Various kings would take their army and command people to march through a river and call them baptized. That doesn't work. It has to be an internal decision. Each person must make a decision of their own whether they're going to trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior or reject Him. Now in today's world, let's be honest, many people aren't that interested in Jesus. Many people aren't that interested in the church. Now most of the time, those who aren't interested really don't know much about Jesus. They really don't know much about His church. Many of the things they think they know about the Bible and about Jesus really aren't true. Biblical literacy in our society is at an all-time low. People know very little about what the Bible actually says. And so we want to get people interested in learning more about God, in learning more about Jesus Christ. We want to be, we want to be like a fisherman who uses a lure. And the bait gets people, the fish interested. We want to be more like fishermen than hunters, okay? I know there's some hunters here, but that's not how we witness. You know, got you. Uh, it's not going to work. You know, we want to be more like the fishermen. Getting people interested, and so they come to Jesus. Now this morning we're going to look at a story of how Jesus reached out to a very unlikely person. And we're going to learn some lessons about how we can reach out as well. We need to learn to engage people where they're at. A story is taken from John chapter 4. And we don't have time this morning to look at every verse in this chapter, so I'd encourage you to read it during the week so you can get the full picture. So we're going to uh, be skipping some of the verses just in 
because of the time constraints this morning. John 4, verse 6. It says, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. And so Jesus was on a trip uh, from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north. And if you know your map of Israel, in between Judea in the south and Galilee in the north is a region called Samaria. And so in order to get from Judea to Galilee, which were both uh, Jewish sections, he had to travel through the province of Samaria. And as Jesus uh, was traveling, uh, apparently he was walking. That's how they did a lot of the travel in the, those days. He became tired and he needed a break. And so he sat down by a well. It was at the heat of noonday. And he was thirsty. He was tired. But as we'll see, Jesus wasn't just thinking about his own needs. He was always thinking about other people. Even in the midst of a busy everyday life. Even on the uh, way to a different place on his trip. So we engage people where they're at. We're going to see how he did that in a minute. And not rule anybody out. Don't rule anybody out. Or anyone out. John 4 verse 7 says, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Now we have to understand a little bit about the customs of those days to understand what was going on here. Jesus was a Jew. And it was a custom that Jews did not speak to Samaritans. Why? Because Samaritan worship didn't really follow the Old Testament pattern in its entirety. They just had some bits and pieces. They did it differently. They weren't considered true Jews. And so Jews uh, didn't want to interact with Samaritans, and really Samaritans didn't want to interact with Jews. And yet Jesus spoke to this Samaritan. Another factor in the culture of this day, Jesus was a man, and this was a woman. And men didn't speak to women in public in such a situation. It was considered unseemly. And yet Jesus broke through both of these cultural taboos. A man speaking to a woman and a Jew speaking to a Samaritan. He initiated a conversation with this woman. Now as the story goes on, we're going to find out that Jesus knew a whole lot about this woman. He knew about her present. He knew about her past. And let me say she was not a saint. And yet, Jesus cared about her. Even knowing what he did, he cared about her. He loved her. And he wanted to talk to her about the truth of God. And so the woman, after Jesus asked this question, she said, Jesus, oh, she didn't know his name, but why are you speaking to me? I mean, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. This just doesn't make sense. This is, this is really strange. And so this gave Jesus an opportunity as she asked him, why are you speaking to me to, to begin to bring some spiritual truth into the conversation? So verse 10 very important verse. Jesus answered her and said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, what Jesus did with this sentence is really very profound. It's very instructive. He turned the conversation from speaking about a physical drink of water to speaking about the spiritual truth of living water. Now, Jesus did this in a way to get the woman interested, to get the woman intrigued. He hinted that the woman didn't really know who he was. And he got to think, who is this? 
a Jew speaking to a Samaritan. That's strange to begin with. And now he's talking about living water. I, I don't know what that is. Now the woman didn't have a clue what living water is, but it, it caught her attention. She was starting to get interested in what Jesus had to say. And when you get somebody interested, they're going to begin to ask questions. And that's what happened with the woman. And we need to learn to answer genuine questions. Verse 11. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Now, this was a genuine question. The woman had a, had a pot there. She knew she would lower that down into Jacob's well and pull it back up. Now, she didn't consider that living water. That was just water water. It was good water, but it wasn't anything supernatural or special. And, and Jesus didn't even have a pot. Where in the world, what was he talking about? Now, this was a genuine question. Now, as we'll see in a minute, not every question is genuine. Some questions are designed to take you off track. But first, this question was genuine, and so Jesus answered it. In verse 13, Jesus answered everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Speaking of physical water. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. A spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so now Jesus begins to go a little bit deeper. He begins to talk more about spiritual truth. As a woman continues to ask questions, he moves from speaking of of living water that will quench, uh, uh, just speaking of living water, which she didn't know, to the concept of, of spiritual water that gives eternal life. He's, he's speaking in a deeper sense here. Something that can quench every thirst. The woman responds in verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. So I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Well, she still didn't understand completely, did she? But she wanted whatever it was that Jesus had, she wanted it. Uh, she was kind of tired of coming and drawing water all the time. And so we see how Jesus engaged this woman right where she was at. He was dealing with the things that she was dealing with. He was talking about uh, the aspect of life, drawing water that she was Involved with, but he brought spiritual truth into the conversation. And he gradually explained more and more. Now, when the woman didn't understand and said some things that didn't make much sense, he didn't immediately correct her, did he? He just continued to give her a little more and a little more truth. And so his purpose was not to win an argument, but to save a lost person. Now, there is a thirst... A spiritual thirst in every person for Jesus. No matter who you look at in your life, deep inside there is a thirst for Jesus, a thirst for God in their lives, but many don't know it. And as we'll see in a minute with this woman, many people try to, try to fill their thirst, that emptiness in their, their lives, that dry place in their lives with something other than God. And it doesn't work. It can't be filled up. It can't be filled up with drugs. It can't be filled up with alcohol. It can't be filled up with entertainment. It can't be filled up with work. It can't be filled up with relationships. 
It can't be filled up with pleasure. It can't be filled up with sports or hobbies or you name it. And not all those things are bad. But it's not, they're not going to fill the emptiness, the thirst that we all have inside of ourselves. And so God wants you and I to engage with those kind of people, people who are thirsty. And we need to understand, we need to have it deeply embedded in our hearts that everyone is thirsty. They might not know it, but they are. And God wants us to engage with those people, whether at work, whether in our families, in our neighborhood. And today we can engage with people on Facebook. We can engage with people with email. All kinds of ways to engage people in conversations. And he wants us to learn how to turn conversations about everyday things. Turn the corner into talking about spiritual truth. There are many ways to do this, but we want to do it consciously so that everybody in your circle of influence, your circle of friends should know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're different, that you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that, that you don't live just in, the, in a life that has to do with things you can see with your eyes. You also have a spiritual dimension to your life. One little example. Suppose you come in to work on Monday. That's tomorrow. And some co-workers are talking about what they did over the weekend. Does that ever happen at, at your work? Yeah. What did they do over the weekend? Well, some say, well, I, you know, I worked on the yard. I worked on my house. I played with the kids. I watched the sports game. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. And maybe those are some of the things that you did as well. But you want to turn the conversation towards spiritual truth. And so how about saying, since you're here this morning, Sunday I went to church. Wow, that, you know, people don't usually say that, do they? A Sunday I went to church and I, I actually learned something. And you might tell them what you learned. Now that's going to set you apart as a little different at your workplace. That's going to set you apart as a believer, somebody who takes God seriously. Now, again, you don't want to be obnoxious about it. There's a way to do it. But you let people know and you turn the conversation towards spiritual truth. Or maybe you might say, well, this weekend I had a problem with something. I don't know. It could be anything. I had a problem with something and I, I prayed about it. And God answered my prayer and helped me solve the problem. Instead of just saying, you know, I worked in the yard and everything worked out fine. Well, maybe God was involved in that. Hopefully God was involved in what you did over the weekend. Just, just an example. So just like Jesus, God wants us to learn to engage people where they're at and bring in spiritual truth into our conversations. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit. We can't know with our own minds exactly what it's going to take to get a certain person interested in things of God or in spiritual things because every, every person is different. And so what works with one person might not work with somebody else. Now, I don't want to, you know, intimidate you in not doing anything, but we need to ask the Holy Spirit to give us the key to what will, what will make this person interested, what will help this person to have some questions. And so we need to rely on the Holy Spirit to know what to say. 
and ask him for discernment into, into other people's lives and what really makes them tick. Let's see how Jesus did this in verse 16. He told her, the Samaritan woman, go call your husband and come back. Well, that seems, you know, a fine thing to say, but, but Jesus knew what was going to happen. And the woman said, I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. And so through the Holy Spirit, Jesus knew this woman was living with a man that she was not married to currently. In the past, she'd been married five times. Now, this woman had a thirst in her life for some kind of relationship to meet a need. And it just, this was the sixth man she'd been on. I mean, even today, that's quite a few. Uh, <laughs> probably not totally unheard of, but that's quite a few. Uh, six men. Nothing had worked. And so the Holy Spirit gave Jesus discernment on what was going on specifically in her life. Now, probably most often Jesus gives us a more general discernment, but he can still do that today. He's the same God today. And at times he will give us a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom that we can know what's going on in somebody's life. And he will do that for us if we're on the same mission that Jesus was on. Now, as we rely on the Holy Spirit, we need to learn to sidestep objections. The woman goes on to, to basically pose a question to Jesus, a, a theological question. She says in verse 20, Our, our ancestors worshipped on this, on this mountain, speaking of the Samaritans. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Now, if you've ever tried talking to people about spiritual truth, this is a very common occurrence when you engage with somebody about spiritual truth. They'll bring up some type of theological issue, some difficult problem, theological problem to, to basically move the focus off them and their response to the spiritual truth to some abstract issue which they know you probably don't know the answer to. And if you don't know the answer, then they're off the hook because you can't answer their question. In this case, the woman brought up the difference between where the Jews and the Samaritans worshipped. But Jesus didn't bite. He didn't get bogged down in the controversy. One of the things you'll learn about Jesus is he didn't feel the need to answer every question that was posed to him. He answered a lot of questions, but not every one. Some questions didn't deserve an answer. And he didn't really totally get into directly answering this question. Let's look at what he said in verse 21 and 23. It says, Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers... The Father seeks. And so in other words, Jesus is saying, the issue is not where you worship. The issue is, what kind of worshiper are you? Are you a worshiper in spirit and truth? And so he brings the focus back to what kind of worshiper the woman is and takes it away from this theological uh, argument. And then he brings the focus more closely to himself. 
John 4.25, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And so the ultimate question that, that every human being must face is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who is he really? Is Jesus the Messiah? Is he the Son of God? Is he God himself? Or is he simply a good man? Is he simply a prophet? Earlier on, the, the woman said, I, I perceive you're a prophet. And now she's beginning to, the light is dawning on her that maybe this is, this is the Messiah. Maybe this is the Christ. Bringing the focus to Jesus. As I said before, I'd encourage you this week to, to uh, read the whole chapter, John chapter 4. So you can get the whole account. And many things are happening fairly quickly in this conversation with Jesus. And sometimes it may work like that. Somebody may progress very quickly in asking questions and learning more about God and about Jesus Christ. But other times it may take days, it may take weeks, it may take months, it may take years. Okay, but it is a process. Some people go through this process of discovery of spiritual truth quicker than others, depending on their background and all kinds of factors. And we need to be, be careful we don't push too fast with some people who are, who are going more slowly. But when you're witnessing to others, ultimately... You need to get to the question, who is Jesus? Who is he? Most people would say, well, he's just a good man or a prophet. But that's not what Jesus claimed. You have to go back to the original documents, to the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Here in verse 26 in the Greek, Jesus says, in the NIV it's translated, I am he. But it's in the Greek, it's ego me. Jesus says, I am. That's the Old Testament name of God. I am who I am. He's claiming to be God himself. I am the Messiah. I am God. And finally, we need to expect to reap a harvest. When we're faithful to sow the seeds of God's truth, seeds of the gospel into people's lives, some of those seeds are going to sprout up and a harvest is going to be reaped. People are going to be saved. People are going to be made disciples of Jesus Christ. Jesus' mission is going to be fulfilled, uh, is going to be moved towards fulfillment. People are going to be brought into God's kingdom. Now, it's not going to happen with everyone you speak to. And Jesus taught us that. And so don't get discouraged. Number one, if people don't immediately respond, sometimes it takes time. And some people, unfortunately, choose to reject Jesus Christ. And that's their decision. But our part is to give them a choice. To let them know who Jesus really is. And they have to decide whether they're going to believe or not. You see, there's even people who Jesus spoke to who rejected him, was there not? So even the very Son of God did not convince everyone to become his follower. But as we're faithful, we can expect to reap a harvest. And that's what makes life exciting. That's what makes life interesting. That's what makes life an adventure with God. Now each person that we reach will reach others. Verse 28, it says, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I did. 
Could this be the Messiah? Then uh, they came out of the town and made their way toward him. You see, sometimes we think, well, it's just one person. You know, what does it matter? But each person that's impacted with the gospel of Jesus Christ and becomes a believer can impact other people. Here was this woman living with another man, her sixth man. We think she probably didn't have a good reputation in town. Who thinks she had a great reputation? No. Who, who wanted to be her next husband? You know, probably not many. And you think, what, you know, what can she bring to God? I mean, what can she do? She just, she's the bottom of the barrel person. I, but yet, she was created in God's image. God loves her. Jesus loved her. He had a plan and purpose for her life. And she went to her town. And she began to tell others about her conversation with Jesus. And what happened, people came out of the town because of her word and wanted to talk to Jesus themselves. The end result can be exponential. I don't have the time to read all the verses, but many Samaritans came from the woman's town. Listened to Jesus and they ended up believing that Jesus was the Savior of the world. Now these weren't Jews. These were Samaritans. These were Gentiles. And so Jesus is the Savior not just of the Jews, but of everyone in the world. Jesus concluded by reminding his disciples that many are ready to be saved. Verse 35, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields they are ripe for harvest. Now perhaps the disciples had thought the Samaritans wouldn't be interested in listening to Jesus because he was a Jew. Why should we bother with these people? They're different from us. And yet as the people of the Samaritan town streamed out of their town because of this one woman with a bad reputation, they came to listen to Jesus. He tells his disciples that the time of harvest is now. In other words, people are ready to be saved. The only thing lacking is workers in the harvest field. People ready and willing to tell others about Jesus. Now all too often we, we fall for the lie. I mean it's easy to say, well nobody's really interested in Jesus anymore. Nobody's interested in the church. So, so why try? Why say anything? They'll just reject it. And yet that's just Satan trying to keep you from carrying out God's mission for your life. As Jesus tells us, many are thirsty for the truth. The harvest is ripe. Many are trying to quench that thirst with sin. And when they hear about the truth about Jesus, will repent and accept him into their lives. And so let me ask the question again, are you willing to change the world. Willing to engage in that adventure. If you're a believer this morning, God wants you to make an increased commitment to working in His harvest field. He wants you to make an increased commitment to sharing the truth with others. Begin to pray that God would give you the courage and the words to share in your circle of influence. You see, each one of you has a different circle of influence 
than the person sitting next to you. Each person, I'm sure, has at least a dozen people or more. Some have many more at different degrees of influence in, in your circles of influence. And God puts you in those circles of relationships to impact people for Him. Ask Him to help you as you enter into conversations with people to bring in spiritual truth, to bring in things that will get people interested in knowing more about Jesus and knowing more about His church and knowing more about what the Bible has to say. Seek out opportunities to engage in deeper conversations, bringing in spiritual truth. Use current events. You know, some things are kind of made to order. There's just a... Uh, things go in cycles, but these days there's a whole raft of movies about spiritual things all of a sudden, right? The Noah movie and other movies like that. Well, use that to talk to people about what God's Word says, even if these movies don't get everything right, okay? At least it's getting people talking about things that happened uh, in the Bible. And remember that ultimately everybody has to be brought to answer this question, who is Jesus? He just a man, just a good man, or was he the Son of God? And may God help each of us as we seek to become more effective workers in his harvest field. Now, to change your world, you have to be a believer yourself. You really can't change somebody else if you're not a believer yourself. You have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. To enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to admit that you've sinned. You've been living a life for yourself. You haven't been carrying out God's mission. You've been carrying out your own mission. The Bible calls that sin. You need to believe that Jesus died on the cross, took our sins upon himself that we might be forgiven. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And we commit our lives to him as our Lord and Savior following His plan for our lives throughout the time we're here on earth and spending eternity with Him. So let's bow our heads right now. If you never prayed a prayer like this or perhaps you want to recommit your life to Him this morning, I'd encourage you to pray this prayer with me. You can pray it in your mind. God knows what you're thinking. Say, Father, today I admit I've sinned. I've done wrong things. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that my sins might be forgiven, come into my life. I commit myself to following you and your word, to following you as my Lord and Savior all the days of my life. And for those who are believers here this morning, let's pray as well. Say, Father, we thank you, God, for this wonderful example of Jesus teaching us how to share our faith with others. Of Jesus leading a woman to belief in himself and a whole town coming to know him as the Savior of the world. May we learn, God, how to engage others in our lives and in our situations. May we not be afraid to let our lights shine. Show us how to naturally bring spiritual truth into our everyday conversations. May it just flow naturally from our lips and from our minds and from our hearts. 
May your Holy Spirit give us discernment into what to say to different people and when to say it. We pray that we'd get people interested in knowing more about you and your word. Help us not to get bogged down in side issues and theological arguments, but to point people to Jesus. We thank you, God, that today the harvest in St. Louis is ripe. There's hungry people, there are thirsty people all around us looking for fulfillment and satisfaction in the wrong places. God, we pray that this church, through the laborers here, would see many more come to Jesus this year. And may we pray, God, that those that commit their lives to Jesus would also become workers in his harvest field. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.